history 101. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Gaming History 101, the retro video games podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Fred Rojas, and joining me today from the land of the laser lens is another, none other than my guest, uh, Mr. Ali from 42 Level 1. How's it going, sir? Hola, que tal? That's a local It's Stabien, man. Yeah. Ah, I didn't know you guys <laughs> spoke Espanol over there in Scotland. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Scat, Scatland. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Well, when you've got a wife that's um, our mother is Spanish and her father's Italian, you kind of have to pick up some. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. I didn't know that. So cool, man. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I have a wife who's Czech, and uh, they haven't made me learn that language yet. So there you go. Um, <laughs> American born though. Say- She's American born, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, Tasha Tasha was born in Scotland as well, so um, ah. it's a, yeah, we're actually going to Italy at the end of April, so can't oh, nice, that. a beautiful country. Congrats, man. Yeah, you're a little closer than we are, but uh, but yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, all right, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you've been listening to GH101 for a long time, which you'll be able to with an announcement I'm about to make, uh, you probably know Ali because he's been on several shows. Although his finest hour was probably. The one we did, I believe you were the one who accompanied me and Chip for the Assassin's Creed episode. <laughs> the, the lost episode. And the fucking sink is off. So there's a, a makeup episode because uh, it, it's fucking late in Scotland when we do this show uh, that that we made that doesn't have sync issues. But I have always retained the original episode and it is still downloadable. The problem is Ali is exactly 30 seconds behind us. So he responds uh, or I think you're ahead of us. Either way, you like respond really late or really early to what we're, we're saying. And then we kind of talk over you. So uh, the Sonic episodes were better. Yes, and still some of our most popular. So, of course, yes, he has been with his uh, partner in crime, uh, Andy, who's also on 42 Level 1, who comes by a little bit more often um, and uh, and definitely did the great Sonic episodes, which people still love. Uh, we recently did a rehash, but we definitely didn't go over uh, fertile ground with uh, <laughs> with the previous one. So, uh, But thank you for, for being on, man. Uh, we are talking about a topic probably very near and dear to many people's hearts. Um, especially when it comes to Europe, which is um, CD-ROM based consoles part two. We've already done part one, but part two goes into the 32-bit era. So we've got the Panasonic 3D, well, actually the 3DO interactive multiplayer. We call it Panasonic because it was largely based by Panasonic in the US, uh, followed by the uh, a little game system you might know called the Sega Saturn, and then a very big game system I know you know called the Sony PlayStation. And then we'll wrap the whole thing up with Sega's Dreamcast. So yeah, yeah, I got some big ones. Um, so that that's what we're going to do. Um, real quick, we have no listener mail, but if you're interested, uh, contact GamingHistory101.com. Uh, feel free to hit us up. Let us know if you want to see anything, do anything, whatnot. The other thing is I found out that my feed... 
the feed for Gaming History 101, the main feed that most people have been using that's on iTunes and whatnot, used to limit us to 100 episodes. Well, whether it's a new feature that just came out or one they decided to point out to me just now when I renewed our contract for another year, um, it can go back, as far as I can tell, unlimited number of episodes, but at least 500. So now I've set it to a maximum of 500 episodes. And since we have less than 300, now the feed has every single episode. So you don't have to go to the archives and manually download. You don't have to have me make a new link on iTunes. You can head to iTunes or your favorite podcast reader, and they're all there now. So that is the good news for people who want to go solely through their phones, which I know a lot of people do. So yes, yes, yes. But um, Tiger Claw says many years from now, it's no doubt Gaming History 101 will cover what was Nintendo's first console slash tablet, the Nintendo Switch. Yes, we uh, we cover it when they bury it. So in cases like the Wii U, uh, we cover it quite quickly. Uh, we'll see where the Switch lands. It's a little early to tell. <laughs> but yeah, so, so anyway, uh, with that, we will move forward. Uh, oh, actually, a couple more real quick notes. Um, I finally got my upscaler, so I need to do some testing tonight. But hopefully, starting this week, later this week, I'll be getting into the Nintendo 64 Resident Evil 2 live streams, where I'll be playing through that that was the one voted on as the 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 console of choice so i'll be playing the n64 version which emulates like shit so i'm playing the actual cart copy um apparently ali when you pause the screen the inventory item uh menu in the n64 version is a completely different resolution than the main game and so if you have an emulator it can crash the emulator and there's a bunch of ghosting and all that stuff and i'm like you know, I'm old. I'm done with this emulation shit. I'm just going to play the legit game and call it a day. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so, yeah. So, yeah, that's coming on board. The other good news is I can start recording straight from the console um, Cron CD again. So, I'll get started on those, um, which will now be 1080p 60. Or, no, 720p 60. So, Awesome. Mm-hmm. I was actually watching one of your videos earlier. It popped up on my YouTube feed. Um, it was The Hobbit. Uh, let's play. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one gets around because it. it gets a lot of uh, it gets a lot of views for some reason. Not a lot of people are willing to go find Sierra's The Hobbit game. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm guessing it's half the people are just there to uh, see a pirated version of the movie, and they 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 give it a couple <laughs> minutes online. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting looking game. I don't think I ever had it. <laughs> That was the olden days too, man. Uh, an, a USB to composite video uh, RCA capture is what that is. Um, so, oh, great. Okay, sorry about that ding there. I'll turn off the uh, G chat. Anyway, what say we jump right into the uh, um, right into the, uh, the the topic at hand? And uh, we kind of covered this, I kind of covered this at the end of the last episode, but I'm going to give it a little bit better of a go. Um, but we're going to jump into the 3DO interactive multiplayer. So according to this, Allie, um, you guys got it in 1994. Uh, we got it because it was uh, based out of America on October 4th, 1993. Now, have you ever or do, are you familiar with the, Pan or the, the 3DO interactive multiplayer? You know, I I know what it is, but as you know, during the sorry, I, I do have a heavy cold, but um, oh no problem. The the <clears throat> the nineties were heavy Sega based for Europe, like especially in Europe. So the the likes of like even the Atari Lynx and the Amiga and the Jaguar and stuff, they kind of get 
extreme price points just to shift the very little systems that they had in stores here. So I'm sure my cousin did have was Gex the yes. was that on it was yeah that was yeah. the flagship he, he, title yeah <laughs> he had it and oh, I don't know I need to look up a thing but I'm sure the controller had like a small D pad and like three buttons and it was a Genesis controller much. through and through it did and the console looked like what the N64 on the dock looked like <laughs> yeah. yeah here yeah. I'll put it in the yeah, chat okay. but yeah 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 you're thinking of the right one uh, that's one version of the console but that's probably the most common yeah 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 so yeah, yeah. so I, I, I never owned one, though, but... Well, and it's an interesting one. We've done an episode on it. It's a very early episode uh, that actually had Sean Freeman on there because Sean Freeman bought this console at launch at Best Buy. He got his Best Buy credit card for it. Yeah. Um, So a a little bit of history on it. The 3DO Interactive Multiplayer is actually from the 3DO company, which was established by Trip Hawkins. Trip Hawkins, you might know... um, was the founder of Electronic Arts, and uh, apparently he he left that company in 1991 and founded the 3DO company, uh, which was an interesting concept. And you know, Trip Hawkins and EA were kind of paramount to a lot of the licensing deals that happened on Sega consoles. Um, I think you guys had this in your country as well, but were the sports games from EA uh, on the special carts with the yellow tabs and stuff? Yeah, because the multi-region. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right, because the programming was in one region and then the console actually adapted the video signal. Um, But yeah, they're the ones who came up with that. So Trip was very familiar with licensing costs. He managed to negotiate the licensing costs down from $10 to, I believe, 6 with Sega, and they got to manufacture their own carts. Uh, Because originally Sega had done the Nintendo model. So Trip was no... no, um, you know, uh, a layman to this stuff. And, um, his big thing was he got two people who are from, uh, well-known, probably better in Europe than, than anywhere. But, um, he basically got Dave Needle, who was a designer on the, uh, Commodore Amiga, um, which, by the way, I don't know if you've got it in your country, but in America on Hulu, there's an interesting little one-hour-long documentary called uh, Viva Amiga, Vive Amiga, and it's uh, it's it's free, but it's a, a little kind of documentary of of the Amiga, the Commodore Amiga, uh, from '85 to '93, and it doesn't go into anything technical, but it kind of talks about the phenomenon of the Amiga. But um, Anyway, so Dave Needle and then R.J. Michael, which uh, he worked on the Commodore Amiga as well. But I believe Michael and maybe Needle as well. They both worked on one or both of them worked on the Atari Lynx, too. So he got those boys together um, and started outlining some stuff in the early or in the late 80s. And then the early 90s founded the company and got these guys on board. Um, And the concept was let's make something with specific specs but we don't have the money to manufacture the consoles and instead we'll let other companies do it. Kind of like what you do with VHS or DVD. You know, you just kind of give them a spec and they just follow it. Um, They were hoping that Sony and Panasonic would do it. Little did they know in 1991 that Sony was working behind the scenes with Nintendo to make the PlayStation. And that story's well told over here, so I'm not going to retell it. Um, But, uh, and then of course, um, Philips was working on the CDI in 91, uh, releasing it, in fact. But Panasonic, not so much. Um, but uh, ooh, let's see what you're popping up here. Uh, it's important to have your chat up. Oh, okay, there you go. Yes, you've got a picture here of, uh, of uh, what is that, Power Ranger? 
Power, Power Monger. Monger. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it wasn't only sports games. EA was – it's just easy when you say EA to say sports. But, um, but yeah. Um, Saiwan says it was a toss-up between the 3DO and the Jaguar. For me, I chose the Jaguar and stand by my choice. You know, if it wasn't for <laughs> Europe getting the Jaguar, it wouldn't be so damn easy. Uh, I wouldn't say it's cheap, but it's easy to get RGB SCART cables uh, for that system. So thank you, uh, Europe, for for getting the Jaguar and, and buying it a little bit more than the 3DO. Because <laughs> the 3DO does not support <laughs> a native RGB uh, without mods. But anyway, uh, whereas the Jaguar does. Uh, but uh, anyway, so... Basically, what happens is they create this console. And, and just to give you the, the hardware spec, um, it runs a 32-bit RISC CPU, which is actually an ARM60 architecture, so at, at 12.5 megahertz. So this is ARM, like you know what we used in a lot of cell phones in the late 90s. This is an early use of that 32-bit processor. So just in case you're wondering, basically the 3DO was the first mobile console. <laughs> um, but... Uh, uh, it, it did use a CD-ROM drive, a, a fantastic two-times CD-ROM drive. The reason that's important is, as you may or may not know, um, Ali, basically every CD-ROM console that ever came out used a one-time CD-ROM. So the 3DO actually loads twice as fast as most consoles, and it was on par with some high-end uh, CD-ROM drives in, in, in PCs at the time, uh, mostly the Intel okay. series, but... Anyway, had two meg of RAM, one meg of video RAM, and 32K of, uh, of storage RAM, SRAM, which eh, it's, it's, I think it's NVRAM. Oh, it's SRAM, but I, I think it's non-volatile RAM because it doesn't my, – my storage still works on the 3DO to this day, uh, and it, it carries a lot of space. I think it's the equivalent to like that special cart you could get with the Sega CD or Mega CD that gives mm. you a bunch of blocks. Yeah. So it's not too bad, but anyway – uh, but here's the doozy. Um, it, it comes out at a price of six hundred ninety nine ninety nine retail in America. Seven hundred dollars uh, comes out at uh, seventy nine thousand eight hundred or eight hundred dollars in Japan and in Europe. No one's been able to give me an exact price, but people told me it was just around a thousand dollars converted. So I'm guessing somewhere in the vicinity of like seven six to seven hundred quid. Uh, pound. Uh, for, sorry, I've I've got it here. It was five hundred ninety nine pounds ninety five, so six hundred oh, pounds. Six hundred pounds. Yeah. Jesus, wept. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And Andrew says, "Too bad, three D O games sucked." Well, we'll talk about that in just a sec. <laughs> yes. So, so me being nine years old at the time this launched as well, I'm thirty two this year. Like, there's probably a reason my mother would not allow me to get a six hundred pounds console. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> the console had a surprisingly long life cycle for what it was. Uh, it, it ran uh, three years, 1993 to 1996, although late 93 to early 96, <laughs> but hey. Um, it should be noted that uh, that so the way the system worked was you would make consoles, and the two main manufacturers, especially in America and Europe, were um, Panasonic and Gold Star, which if you're not familiar with Gold Star, I kind of mentioned this last episode or in part one, uh, they're better known today as Lucky Gold Star or their shorthand moniker LG. So those are the two that made the consoles and both had like a one and a 10 model. I believe both did, or at least Panasonic did. The FZ1 model is the one Ali was talking about, which is kind of stacked onto itself and it's got a tray that comes out. Um, and it's the less uh, popular and the less expensive one you'll find today on aftermarket. The same is true of the Gold Star. 
console because that tray has bands that are very vers- uh, very brittle when they break it's almost impossible to find those bands and repair them so your your life of your console is based almost purely on the reliability of the tray although as people have shown with other consoles like a lot of people still use those ones with the tray if they treat them well and they're they're lucky um i have the fc10 model the more popular one with the retro scene because it's a top loader so no matter what happens as long as you can pop open that top you're good to go um but yeah, yeah. So the other thing that was important was the software uh, only needed a $3 licensing fee. So you only had to pay 3 bucks to get licensing to put games out on the 3DO, uh, which is huge. Again, that's, uh, that's half the price uh, EA was paying to Sega with their very special contract and less than a third of the price most companies were asking for your ports. Um, the other thing was it was very similar to, um, to the spec of PCs at the time personal computers. So a lot of PC ports were easy to make because you only had to pay a nominal $3 fee and you're good to go. What did screw things up though was the console cost about the same to manufacture as it did to sell. I think they were making it for 650 and selling it for 700. Uh not cool. <laughs> so, um eventually the prices did drop down to 400 for Gold Stars version and um 500 for uh Panasonic's version, but it just it just never worked out too well. So, um and then Sanyo did make a bunch in uh in Korea and and the East. So, um now a lot of people did say that the games sucked. That makes sense. I think what they really mean is that the exclusive and andrew you can tell me but the exclusive sucked um and that's to a certain extent true you mentioned gex but gex got ported over but gex is a batshit crazy uh game um where you're this like uh pop culture and sorry obsessed gecko who uh goes after your uncle or something to save him and uh (laughs) and uh end up um going through various uh, movie genres as levels. It was also, uh, I believe, one of the first games made by, if not the first, let's see, made by Crystal Dynamics. Uh, No, actually, it was the fourth. But a lot of these games were on the 3DO. They were all on the 3DO, actually. So Crystal Dynamics kind of got its start on the 3DO. But, um, But, yeah, so have you ever played Gex, Mr. Alley? Yeah. Yeah, I had, I'm sure there's a Gex 3D follow-up where he had James Bond's outfit on. I did play uh, Gex at is, my cousin's. Yes. But yes, I played... I didn't mean Gex. I, I don't remember it. I, obviously, like, I don't remember it being a game that I needed to have, like, the first time I played Mario Brothers 3 or anything, but yeah. <laughs> it, you know, the reason I bring up Gex so pivotally is because it was the best-selling game on the console, and it, it is a side-scroller. So a lot of people liken Gex because it's kind of that end of an era, right? As the 32-bit genre was coming in, as CD-ROMs were gaining high praise, everything was going the way of 3D, and Gex did not, you know? And so a lot of people cling to this, much like they cling to Rayman and various others. Um, I've never played Gex, although I do own the 3DO version. Uh, I should play it at some... Oh, I'm gonna with Cron CD. That's the answer for everything now. Um <laughs> But uh, but yeah, the 3DO original version came out in '95. It didn't take too long though. The PlayStation port was moved uh, to uh, 
to, uh, the the port was moved on PlayStation by December 95. So like basically right after it came out. Um, what I should point out is the 3DO version of Gex sold 1 million copies and there were only 2 million 3DOs produced. So a 50% add-on rate is pretty damn good for a game. That's kind of what you could call a killer app. But I think it came with the console. Oh, did it? Okay, I didn't. I'm not sure if it did or not. Uh, it might have been a pack in with some consoles, but yeah. uh, I'm trying to look. But uh, so some of the big things it's known for, of course, it moved a lot of your Sega CD stuff, uh, your FMV games over. There's a you know the the highest quality ports of Night Trap and Sewer Sharker on the console. Um, you do have a light gun, and you can get your Mad Dog McCrees, your Crime Patrols. You know, of course, there's Dragon's Lair and all that fun stuff. Um, but uh, but another big one that people talk about is they got some pretty killer ports of fighting games, many of which I have. Um, there is Crystal Dynamics actually released the Samurai Showdown 3DO port, which is one of the strongest versions of Samurai Showdown, uh, competing pretty much with the, the Sega CD or Mega CD version. Um, there's a great port of Primal Rage, which I've actually compared in my version comparison video. Um, in fact... No, I think I still gave the winner to the Saturn, but we're we're splitting hairs at that point. And remember, the Saturn won't be out for a couple of years. And then uh, it's already being talked about in the chat, but Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, that is a great port. And of course, like all ports of Street Fighter 2 Turbo, uh, it's uh, or of, of a Street Fighter game, it necessitates the uh, uh, it necessitates the uh, six button controller that almost no one has on the on the 3DO. <laughs> <laughs> so as we said earlier the 3do does have i call them genesis controllers they look exactly like them they even have the nine pin serial connection that the genesis has however do not plug those in apparently it can cause damage to either the console or the controller to plug them in i don't know if it could actually cause damage but it doesn't work is the the more important thing um the other weird thing about the controllers is there's only one controller port so there's a daisy chain controller port on every controller. So like if you wanted to play two player, you'd plug into the player one controller. So that's kind of weird. Um, but uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> there are also some pretty crazy PC ports. So there are a lot of games that are really hard to run nowadays that if you want to, you can grab the 3DO version and they run pretty well. Um, so uh, let's see here. I'm trying to think of a couple. Um, so do you remember the Daedalus encounter, Allie? Did you ever play this? It, it stars yeah. Tia oh, Carrere. Do, do you know what? I did play this and it's like a point and click thing and you're a brain uh, inside. I had it on, my dad used to have a Macintosh like before uh -huh. Macs were hip and popular. <laughs> and I had two games, three games I had missed, Daedalus encounter and Rednecks Rampage. And that is oh, the yeah. red, no, Inbred with Rednecks, sorry, mm -hmm. it was not Redneck Rampage. Okay. Inbred with Rednecks was featuring the band that sung Cotton Eye Joe. So, oh, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> these were all, these were all point and clicks. Daedalus Encounter. I remember being stuck at that game for so long because there was one part that you could shoot on this motion, not motion captured, um, in-game still, and you had to shoot at the exact part, or the whole game was over. But you, you were a, you were a brain. I remember that. Yep. And you could only see out a view screen. Yeah some game 
Yeah, it's crazy, and it's it's actually the Daedalus Encounter uh, has become one of the more rare 3DO games. I don't think it's valued too high over here, but it's one that people see that I have it. It's four discs, so it, it does run into the Dragon, uh, the Panzer Dragoon Saga problem of you might be able to find the game, but you can't find one with all four discs intact. Uh, when people find out I have that, uh, they're kind of like, oh, do you want to get rid of it? You know, <laughs> Would you like to buy, sell, or trade it? And I'm like, no. Um, I am curious what it sells for uh, D-A-E, D-A-L-U-S, Encounter. Let's see if it's even in here. There it is. Yeah, see, it's it's only worth like 10 bucks loose, 30 bucks complete, but but it's it's hard to find somebody who's selling those. But, uh, but yeah, so that one's a little hard to play on PCs nowadays to get them working. Uh, so uh, the 3DO is a perfectly good port of it. Um, Let's see, Hell, a cyberpunk adventure. Have you ever played that point-and-click game? <laughs> no, I don't think I played that one. <laughs> yeah, that one's a little <laughs> fucked up. Before GOG was around, it was kind of the best place to play uh, controller versions and probably still one of the best places to play controller versions of Alone in the Dark 1 and 2. Um, so, you know, there's some there's some PC games that are, that are worthwhile. Oh, The Horde. Oh, God. Crystal Dynamics and Toys for Bob. Um, uh, very interesting game, which also stars... Uh, you know, religion's own Kirk Cameron. Uh, you're welcome. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, and then there are, uh, oh, and then of course the, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but the, the lovely putt putt series, which is a, uh, point and click adventure series for kids. Um, putt putt mm-hmm. goes to the moon. It's the shit, man. Um, <laughs> But it's also the first place where you see home ports of a lot of interesting games that were on, um, that were kind of ported over to P- uh, to PlayStation later, um, or very hard to find, like on Jaguar and stuff. So, like Syndicate has a great port on the 3DO. Uh, Theme Parks on the 3DO. Um, Space Hulk is on the 3DO. Uh, Vengeance of the Blood Angels. It's like a first person strategy game almost. Um, you've got. Uh, <laughs> Rise of the Robots. Uh, don't worry about Rise of the Robots. Um, in Japan, there's a great version of Police Knots. Um, one of the earliest versions of Police Knots, actually. Um, there's a pretty solid version of Another World or Out of This World. Um, and, oh, let's... Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, and then there are, of course, uh, a handful of games that... Uh, they're just uh, not great ports like Doom. Doom and Wolfenstein don't have great ports on the 3DO. Load times are a little too crazy and things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, oh, there's a mist port. I bet the mist port's pretty solid. So, but, uh, anyway, and then just wrapping it up. Oh, oh, the other ones were like DPO'd killing time. These were all big PlayStation launch games or launch area games, rebel assault. I remember all those being pretty big and, and those all premiered on the 3DO first. Um, but, uh, and then there's the exclusives and this is where it falls a little short. Um, one of the notable exclusives being uh, the Need for Speed. This is another example of a of a pretty good uh, pretty good game on uh, on the 3DO. This one was made by EA, so of course Trip Hawkins allowed his his old buddies to come together. Now it did come out on on DOS and eventually hit PlayStation and Saturn, but it did start life as an exclusive for the 3DO. Um, and that one's pretty good, but again, when you get into the real exclusives, like the things you can only find on the 3DO, I don't know if you've ever played any of these, Ali, but um, the AD&D games are okay. They're first-person kind of dungeon crawlers, but they're a little rough. 
little rough. <laughs> not not great. Um, uh, let's see here. <laughs> Conan the Boy in Future, which is not based off of Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> is no. not not fantastic. I'm trying to remember if Crash and Burn was on anything else. Let's see. Nope, that one's a Crystal D exclusive, which was kind of like early Mario Kart, um, early 3D Mario Kart. Um, there is Wicked 18, which is a golf game uh, that's not uh, okay. not as wicked as it would suggest. Um, there's That's News to Me by Dennis Miller. Do you know who Dennis Miller is? He's kind of that like smart comedian. Um, nope. <laughs> um, I don't think so, no. Uh, hold on real quick. Kazan is saying, was it called NFS or did it have a really long title? It's actually The Need for Speed on the box. Um and it did have a car tie-in. Uh, let me pull up my box. God damn it. I put it down and then it's like lost. Here we go. Um, uh, Roden Track. Roden Track was the cross promotion on the box here. Uh, these are those cardboardy boxes that kind of fall apart if you get them near water. Um, let's see. There was the semi-pornographic Plumbers Don't Wear Ties, which was a weird video dating sim. Um it was like an FMV dating sim, but there is nudity in it. So these sound right up Andy's alley. Like, yeah, honest, a little. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think Andy might enjoy a 3DO more than, say, you, for example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, and then there is the infamous. I've played it on the the fee or on my live stream two years ago. Uh, Jurassic Park Interactive, which is nothing but a series of mini games on Jurassic Park, most of which are no fun. There is an interesting run around and avoid the raptors uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, nice. thing in there. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's not the strongest. Um, oh, real quick, back to Dennis Miller's uh, That's News to Me. Um, that is literally him doing kind of his shtick from Saturday Night Live where he reads news and it's kind of funny, and I think it was cheap. I think it was like 20 bucks because he was planning to keep releasing them. You know what I mean? Like, it covers three mm-hmm. months. So I think he was planning every three months to, like, have interesting things, but it, it never really worked out. Uh, there's Twisted the Game Show, which was, like, this crazy little, like, version of Hollywood Squares. Um, and then, uh, <clears throat> let's see here. There. Oh, I'll talk about this in a second, but... Then there, the last one is probably Way of the Warrior. This one's infamous because it's tattooed on my chest. Have you ever heard of Way of the Warrior? This was Naughty Dog's first game. Um, no, not a word of Way okay. of the Warrior. It's a Mortal Kombat clone. Um, okay. And it has a uh, three-pronged yin-yang. So you know how the yin-yang is black and white? Yeah, this yeah. has a third one, which is blood. It's this third red one that bleeds all over the, the, the thing. It's on the cover. And for some reason, me and my buddies thought this was such a cool logo. And we all talked about getting tattoos because we were like this trio of people and there was no good or bad guy. There was always the guy trying to do the angel, the devil. And then we always called the third one chaos because he like picked like whether or not we'd be good or bad for that night, you know, and he led us to avoid an arrest from time to time in our teenage years and led us to get arrested a couple of times. And again, we would change out who was good bad or chaotic but either way i got this tattooed on my chest and i remember telling my buddies about it i was like remember we said we were gonna get tattoos and they're like we're not putting a video game logo on our fucking chest you fucking idiot like what are you t- crazy but it's won me some uh, some contests at the midwest gaming classic for stupidest video game tattoos so there you go but um 
But Way of the Warrior was interesting. It was very difficult to do the moves, and the fatalities were super gory, though. There's an uh, there's a, a one thing, and I uh, I've got it in uh, my coverage of Way of the Warrior on Gaming History 101. But uh, you can there's a, a thing where you're fighting on a platform surrounded by lava, and if you do if you know the stage fatality, you punch the guy into the lava, mm-hmm. and the lava covered skeleton with like uh, his eyes falling out of the sockets leaps up and grabs the camera you know kind of the screen it was it was a big deal so yeah but, i've just uh, looked up those characters such as shaky jake and major gains yep yep major gains yep mm-hmm. <laughs> shaky jake it's it's a bad game like it's 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 one of those angry video game nerds i'm sure there's there's one in there there's probably one in the chat already but um but yeah uh so so th- that's that's yeah that's a game that naughty dog would rather uh, they don't disavow its its you know presence, but they didn't want to talk about it. Believe it or not, the 3DO was actually made into an arcade game, like a like a Neo okay. Geo was in certain parts of the U.S. And I remember paying a dollar to play Way of the Warrior, dying immediately, and going fuck this. Uh, nowadays, I I enjoy it a little bit more because I own it and I play lots of hours of it. But most people, even those that own it, won't play lots of hours of it. So you can kind of move on. It joins Kasumi Ninja on that long list of and Tattoo Assassins on that long list of don't play these Mortal Kombat clones. Um, and then the last thing and most important is games like Coven. Coven made by Vivid, the porno company. There are actual porno games and they're not porno games really. They're just video CDs. It's just a porno. You just watch a porno. <laughs> <laughs> I bought Coven because I had to know back when I got my 3DO, <laughs> and it's a porno. It, but it's funny because it's like worse than like pixelated YouTube at 144p nowadays. You know what I mean? But back then it was better than scrambled cable. But it's a porno yeah. film. Yeah, it's basically they put porno films in 45 minute discs, and you could watch them in MPEG one format. Um, but uh, that's what happens when your shit goes unlicensed. Anyone can put anything on it. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, that's the 3DO. Super expensive. Didn't last very long. Uh, they were going to make uh, the follow-up, which was called the M2, which was basically going to be kind of like a CD-ROM, much stronger based off the PowerPC architecture. It's going to come out in 96, uh, and it did fail. Um, but um, uh, it was it was going to be an interesting console. Uh, there are a couple that exist, including Frank Cifaldi at uh, GameHistory.org does have one. Um, and if you go watch their recent uh, live stream that was on IGN, they show off the the M2. So, but yeah, um, there you go. See, the putt putts are fun. So, anyway, anything you want to say about the 3DO before we uh, put that one to rest? Uh, I think I dodged a bullet not getting that one. Yeah, they they go. They're not super cheap nowadays, but I think they go for about one two hundred bucks in America. I'm betting they're a lot more in Europe uh, because they need to be pal. But um, but yeah, they are. Uh, there's not a lot of great games, and the games are very expensive these days. They're actually not that expensive on eBay, but they're like weird. They don't pop into play very often. The best way to do it is do what I did. There's this little site called goatstore.com and in full disclosure, they are the ones who put on the Midwest Gaming Classic. I've been going for a long time, so some may say I'm a fan, but I get no kickback from them, so it doesn't really fucking matter. But they're a great place where you can find cart only and disc only. So if you're not a collector, I recommend going to the Goat Store. You can pick up a shitload of 3DO and Jaguar games for pretty cheap if you don't care about condition and they do promise everything will play. 
So I also bought a decent amount of a lot of the Cron CD stuff you see on Cron CD. If people wonder how I do that, I have a limited budget that's just kind of my pool in a PayPal account, and I buy and sell the games, um, and then and then return them. And uh, unless they're super rare, super expensive, but I have yet to encounter those yet. But I, I, I'm wondering if there's a PC Engine game other than Rondo of Blood that's really expensive, and I might have to do that. Um, but uh, but for now, I don't want to burn out the lens, so I do buy the games legit. And uh, a lot of the games you see on Cron CD can be bought for about one to five bucks <laughs> at Goat Store. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, the 3DO, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a play at your own risk. Uh, uh, again, it's going to be a while before I get to it with Cron CD, but hopefully that'll shed some light on those and and whatnot. Uh, I start the CDI, though, uh, with episode yeah. six, so that'll be interesting. But anyway, let's move on to something a little more near and dear to our hearts. Uh, a weird console because it's like synonymous with importing. Whether you live in America or Europe, you are most likely importing a large portion of this library which is the lovely Sega Saturn released in 1995. <laughs> yeah. So um, where do you stand on the Saturn, Mr. Sega fan? Sure. It's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat it to death. Um, it's not my favorite Sega console. It's probably my least favorite Sega console. I did <laughs> have one. I, like I didn't get one at launch. I remember getting one, um, I can't remember why I wasn't getting one at launch. I got a Dreamcast. We'll talk about the Dreamcast later, obviously. But like the mm. Saturn, um, I don't know. I always, I, I, I always wanted it to be good. There was just apart from Sonic. I think the main thing that killed it was no Sonic. Well, there was a lot of things that killed it. We'll talk about. <laughs> but like Sonic, Sonic Jam being the only Sonic game, and like getting so hyped over just that um, hub world. Uh, obviously, I had Virtual Cop. Um, I just it didn't it didn't do what it should have like to me I loved the controller it had the cartridge slot at the back if I remember I haven't mm-hmm. had my Saturn for a while it does have a cartridge slot at the back yep. yeah but I never I never used that for anything I don't uh, it had four uses uh, and these days it's pretty much for uh, hacking and region freeing up the console but yeah there was you could put in a storage cart which was sold in all regions which gave you a lot more storage and if you're like me and for some reason your uh cr2032 little button cell that holds all the storage on the saturn uh and prevents it from wiping when this console's off even if i replace that battery it doesn't seem to hold on my saturn so uh you can you can copy everything basically what i do is when i'm done playing a session i have to reset the console go in and copy all the data over to the cartridge slot in the back uh, with my cart and then I can turn it off and then you copy it back and then load the game. Um, it also allowed for the fighting games, which were only in Japan had enhancements where if you had a one megabit cart or a four megabit cart, depending on the game, um, it provided, uh, um, it provided, um, extra Ram so that those could run, uh, especially with like your Capcom fighters, like uh, street fighter versus, uh, uh, X-Men and um i think darksiders maybe street fighter versus x-men didn't but it was marvel versus capcom or something did it uh dark stalkers vampire whatever you want to call it definitely did it uh and then uh nowadays there's the pro action replay which actually if you plug it in there it allows you to run games region free but it doesn't allow backups and then there's recently been pseudo saturn which you can overwrite a pro action replay 
and it'll actually be a mod chip that lets you run backups like burn games on that's it that's right so that only happened last year wasn't it yes yes and the thing that's <laughs> tough about that one is you kind of have to have a modded console already or know the swap trick um but uh, but i have made one uh, i made one for Cy one who's a listener of our show uh which uh i i never really heard i think he received it i'm hoping he received it <laughs> but uh <laughs> i think he's in the chat too so maybe he can tell me but um but yeah you can you can just pop that in there and, and you're good to go um but uh it allows you to run a, a large majority of the of the games but yeah so um in America, Saturn... So, yeah, we all know about Saturn. The big deal with Sega's Saturn was it, it ran into a couple of problems. One, it was way overcomplicated. Um, in Japan, they thought that carts were the way to go. Uh, a lot of people at Sega Japan really thought that making the 32X was going to be the answer to everything. It allowed for a lot of 2D stuff and carts, and we'd be good to go. Tom Kalinske, at least in a lot of interviews nowadays, claims he knew CD-ROM was the way to go and really pushed heavily on the Saturn and, and again, Japan was behind the Saturn, but they, they were, I think, a little bit more behind seeing if they could extend with the 32X. So there was that problem. The other thing is the Saturn is super complicated. It's got like two processors, two graphics processors, I think two sound processors. Uh, it's a highly complicated uh, system. Um, yeah, it does. It has a Hitachi processor, a custom sound processor, the SCSP. It has a 68,000 chip as a co-processor, and then it has two video processors, VDP1 and 2, which is why it's really hard to emulate as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, so it was pretty complicated. And then they got scared um, by uh, – they got, they got real scared of the PlayStation coming out. And so um, – the Saturn released like normal in Japan, but it got rushed to market in America coming out in the summer. That's another infamous conversation, which uh, you can find in Birth of the PlayStation on, uh, on, on our archive. But, um, but the Saturn came out early with no games, basically. So it kind of died quickly in America because it had no games for the console. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Similar so, over here. Yeah. Similar over here. And Sega were massive in Europe, so it was kind of a disappointment. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to see where what people were saying about the Sega. Um, but yeah, there was, and a lot of people say the same thing. There was a lot of internal changes at Sega, and um, and this was when Kalinsky leaves and all this stuff. So there was there was a lot of uh, kind of burned bridges with this. The other problem was is that the Saturn still tended to deal with 2D graphics better than 3D, although that is kind of. You know, that's proven and disproven with different games. Symphony of the Night proves that that's not always true because it runs kind of poorly. Um, and uh, and there are some 3D games that look and run great on, on the Saturn. Um, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any right now. I think Resident Evil comes pretty close to looking the same. Um, of course, the Saturn used squares and everybody else used triangles. So that was the other big deal with the 3D architecture of the Saturn but yes, uh, and if you want to listen to the Sonic Extreme episode, you can hear the long-winded story of how Sonic Extreme uh, <laughs> was affected. But anyway. Um, yeah. So yeah, so so let's move on to... Uh, let's move on to um, uh, the games themselves. So um, you did have a Saturn. You kind of talked about a couple of games. Any other uh, big games of note that you wanted to to mention? Now, see, the, the Saturn games over here were... because the, the console didn't last very long here. I mean, the Dreamcast was only, like, 
it was only market as well for two years. That was all over. But the, the Saturn didn't last long at all here. Um, and the games when it was popular were like fifty nine ninety nine. So I didn't have too many. Um, Andy actually bought my Saturn off me. Um, I had Independence Day. I remember playing that. Um, it was okay, but. The main one I always went back to was Flicky's Island or Sonic Jam being a Sonic fan. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonic Jam being just the compilation, but I always thought there was some hidden part where you could unlock a full 3D Sonic game, and I, I honestly wish that that was true. Um, I had um, Worms, obviously, on it. Uh, worms just being Worms, standard Worms. I'm sure I played Resi on the Saturn, but it wasn't mine. Um, my mum did not want me owning a game named Resident Evil, um, which is ironic because it's now one of my favourite series of all time. But um, mm. I, I don't remember me enjoying Resident Evil and the Saturn as much as I did once I eventually played it on the PlayStation. Um, apart from that, I didn't have too many games. I maybe had Street Fighter, but the, the main games I focused on at that point was Mortal Kombat. So it was Mortal Kombat, I want to say Trilogy rather than 3. I think it was a trilogy. Um, Independence Day, like I said. And I had um, Sonic Jam. But I, I, above and beyond that, Virtua Cop, I had the gun as well. It was really cool. Like, before I had Time Crisis, it was the game that was like felt like being in an arcade, which I never ever see. I know consoles were originally marketed as the arcade at home, but playing an actual arcade game like that at home was, was incredible to me at the time because I had played Virtua Cop, obviously, in the arcades. But really, no one that came around to mine wanted to play the Saturn. Nobody I knew really had the Saturn either. Um, most people that were lucky enough got the 32X. Even, well, I say lucky. <laughs> most people got the 32X just, I'm sure it was, was it a month before it? Two months before it? it, it maybe not for release, but the shops here were kind of behind back then. So mm-hmm. we, we only had the 32X slightly before this new console arrived. And That's kind of how well, it worked across the board. But yeah, yeah. I mean... Yes. The 32X was basically a year before. So. Yeah. So, no, no, I don't have extreme fond memories of the Saturn, and it's the one Sega console. I even include the Game Gear in this. I had fond memories of the Game Gear. The Saturn's the one Sega console that I could not force myself to enjoy. And I, I, it looked nice. I loved the look of it. I loved the chunkiness. Um, I've seen the white models, I believe, was Japan. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember, um, and I've 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 considered getting one again. My friend at work who's big into his retro, he still gets his Saturn, but I cannot. I, every time I look through the catalog of games, there's not many games that I would actually <laughs> pick the Saturn back up to play. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a shame. Like I know a lot of people blame the Dreamcast for it, but I don't. I blame the Saturn for Sega's downfall. I, I really do. They they rushed it to market. Like you said, the chipset was based more on 2D games rather than the 3D market that was emerging. And it was just, they, they shit the bed with that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and and again, I think the uh, there's a cool Saturn USB hub slash Raspberry Pi conversion floating around. Oh, nice. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, the... The as per usual, the the Saturn in America was just black and just had like this weird S surrounded by like a planet logo. Whereas the Saturn in Japan, and I don't know where Europe stood, but usually Europe tends to come similar to that, was like a cool red S for the Saturn uh, for the S in Saturn. Um, 
it had a cool logo. It had a black model, but it also had a gray and blue model. It had the white model you're talking about. It had a lot more models and whatnot. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the games, uh, you know, the, the, the big notable ones was the fighting games, you know, and when people ask you, they're like, oh, well, you know, like Capcom's uh, Darkstalkers 3, Marvel versus Street Fighter and Street Fighter Alpha 3 were like huge. They were they were often seen as like, you know, near arcade perfect. Um, yeah. And then uh, there was also Fighters Mega Mix and Fighting Vipers, um, which uh, and then of course the Virtual Fighter games. Those were all like big fighters at the time. So if you were a fighting fan, especially because those are pretty cheap in the Japanese form, and like I said, you can get the aforementioned uh, uh, Pro Action Replay, and you're good to go. Um, you know, that's a big reason to grab it and grab those import games on the cheap. Um, you know, a, a lot of people have told me like, you know, Symphony of the Night's a particularly poor port, uh, which only came out in Japan anyway. Uh, Resident Evil and Tomb Raider both came out. Uh, the Tomb Raider actually was a Saturn exclusive at first and then it hit PlayStation later. Um, but Tomb Raider is not a stronger port on the Saturn. Resident Evil comes a lot closer, but again, it's like, why bother if you've got a way to play Resident Evil otherwise? Um, but, oh, Pandemonium. Uh, I had Pandemonium. Good old Pandemonium. Yeah, and there is a lot of crossover with stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, before we get into the crossover, the ones I know that were like pretty pretty consistent across the board, um, you know, that, that were probably known best for the Saturn as like their exclusives was, of course, Panzer Dragoon. You know, um, yeah. one and two Zvi, which is weird because that's like saying Panzer Dragoon 2, 2. But uh, Panzer Dragoon 2 was another one of note. Uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga, which was a uh, which was the super rare RPG that sells for like three to five hundred bucks nowadays. Um, which and- when the Saturn was going out of business, there was a local sort of PC shop here that was selling off copies for like two pound, two quid. Mm hmm. I remember seeing them on the shelf and thought, I don't want that game. Instead, I believe I bought in the sale the Knights Into Dreams controller, which was the big one, but I never had Knights Into Dreams on the Saturn. Oh, yeah. Knights is actually pretty good. Um, That 3D controller does help. Um, uh, Sorry, I can't type and and, uh, and speak at the same time. Uh, all games says uh, I think Saturday. All games six three seven four says I think Saturn emulation kind of uh, still kind of sucks, doesn't it? I think so. I haven't tried it too much. I know Ubase was the big one, but there's various other ones, um, and I I don't know. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, you know it come it, it comes and goes. A lot of people are saying Saturn emulation's coming along, so. Who knows? We'll see. Um, I can tell you, like, if you can speak Japanese, um, you know, like Panzer Dragoon Saga, the four disc game is like 30 bucks in Japan, you know? So like there's that stuff and, and whatnot. And a lot of people say, well, why don't they make a fan translation? Well, basically because if you're going to go through the trouble of playing a fan translation, you may as well play a burned copy of the English version, you know, um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple other big ones. Uh, the 360 got a port of this, but guardian heroes, which was kind of the next streets of rage, right? It was streets of rage four to a certain yeah. extent. Um, yeah. 
So, and I was never a Shining Force fan, but Shining Force Three is pretty big. Uh, part one was on the Saturn in America, and it's super rare and expensive. But there are fan translations now of uh, parts two and three, which also came out in Japan. And so now you can just, uh, you know, kind of again, if you can play burn games, you can just knock those out and 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 play through all those. But Shining Force Three is apparently really good. Um, but uh, but yeah, other than that, it's. And there are the arcade ports, like you had said. There's Daytona USA, there's House of the Dead, Virtua Cop, there's Virtual On, Virtua Fighter. There is Die Hard Arcade. I don't know if that came out in your neck of the woods, but uh, if you want yeah, a, the port of Die Hard Arcade, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big one. Um, in Japan, there's lots of Capcom Generations collections and the MSX collection and things like that, and they're all pretty cheap. Um, now I read somewhere about Die Hard Arcade started life as Streets of Rage Four. Oh wait, yeah, it was Die Hard Arcade that started as Streets of Rage Four. I'm sorry, yeah. Dynamite Dika. Yeah, and not Guardian Heroes. Guardian Heroes. I forgot what Guardian Heroes originally is. Uh, you'd think I'd know, and it's probably on our game club. I bet Jam knew, um, but I'm trying to see who gave us. Um, development, development. Come on, give me something. Anyway, here we go. Guardian Heroes was... Ah, hell, I don't know. It is a treasure-based game, so uh, so that's interesting. But yeah, maybe it is just better known as a treasure game. It does come from the same team that made uh, Aliens vs. Predator on the arcade, the Capcom one. So, But hey. Uh, but Guardian Heroes is probably a bigger deal because it was super expensive and then they brought it out on 360 and now everyone can grab it. So... There you go. But uh but yeah, so um all right. Let's see if there's any other Saturn things. There is for those of us who like the FMV games, there's a really good version of Double Switch. <laughs> <laughs> um again before these retro throwbacks came out, uh Dungeons and Dragons collection, the arcade collection came out in Japan. That was a pretty big one to have on the system for a long time. Um there's a terrible version of Mortal Kombat 2. I played that recently. It's bad. Its graphics aren't even that good. It looks like the 32X version, and the 32X version doesn't have load times, so it's much better. Um, I'll tell you one thing that I was I was actually talking to Jam about on um, Twitter, because I get the mini Mega Drive through, and it turns out the wife loves Columns 3. And we always discuss why Columns 2 was never on anything. It was arcade. Columns 2 actually did come out in a console in Japan. It was a Saturn. Uh, Columns Arcade Collection had 1, 2, and 3 on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did hear about that. And it's, uh, um, uh, that's, that's a very notable collection because did they spruce up the graphics or is it just direct ports? I think it's arcade ports, but like it's, it's notable because there's no other real way to get columns to, um, gotcha. on console. Um, sorry, I'm being asked how to set up the Wii because I've got my daughter... Uh, I know worries. Like I spent a whole episode of Forty Two Level One with me and Andy with his switch in front of us because it's too easy now with dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, um, but uh, but yeah yeah. There's uh, again there's there's some decent ports of stuff, uh, but I think basically the fact that there's so much stuff in Japan, it is really the the console for which you import a lot of stuff from Japan and just play anything you can if you don't know Japanese. It's also a great port of Sexy Parodius and various other things, but, you know, it's it, it's it's really uh, 
first and foremost, a Japanese console because the Saturn actually celebrated a lot of um, success in Japan. I think it was like the second best or the best Sega console that Japan ever got. Um, so let's see here. I can't quite find out for sure, but yeah, yeah, the game sold very well in Japan. Um, Saturn was very popular in Japan. A big problem I read about the Saturn was a lot of game developers weren't told when it was releasing. So yeah, and that was any. yeah, that was the big thing. They didn't know when it was releasing, and then when they were given that stuff, they kind of you know you take a risk on Saturn development or on new console yeah. development because you're a launch game. And they lost that launch window because everything came out before it was ready. So, yeah, it pissed off a yeah. lot of people. Pissed off a lot of yeah. people. But, um, but yeah. So, and then, of course, there were games that started life there, like Shenmue. Shenmue started life on the Saturn, but never actually came out, so it didn't really help. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sonic Extreme never came out to the Wii U. So. That's right. That's right. Um but then, then we have Sony's powerhouse. And Sony, I think, lives and dies by the fact uh, that it just made all the right decisions. Um, it, was, it was equally available worldwide. It had a very competitive price. It was patient. And um, from what I hear in Europe, it was very easy to hack. That helped a lot, too. Oh, yeah, the blue tat trick. <laughs> yeah, well, and a lot of people talk about it because you guys kind of came off of microcomputers and into the PlayStation where <laughs> hacking was pretty easy. Also, region freeing it up was pretty easy. So even if you didn't want to do backups, uh, just getting it region free was pretty easy. Um, yeah. And, uh, and the other big thing with the PlayStation was uh, basically that third parties just flocked to it. Yeah. Um, it, it just made all the right choices and third parties really jumped into it. But, uh, but yeah. So the PlayStation, uh, releases December, 1994 in Japan, uh, a couple months after the Saturn, uh, September 95 in Japan, in North America, again, a couple months after the Saturn and September 29th in Europe and November 15th in Australia. So worldwide release pretty much in 95 outside of the, the main window. Um, it runs a R3000 33 megahertz chip, which is geared mostly at 3D graphics. Runs a really crappy CD-ROM drive. Um, has the 2 megs of RAM, 1 meg of VRAM that uh, was customary with the 3DO. It kind of co copied a lot of the specs of the 3DO, uh, which is why you see a lot of 3DO ports actually early on, like D and, uh, and, and PO'd and stuff. Um, but it had a nice sound... Uh, uh, 16-bit sound processor, um, and uh, and yeah, and only cost 300 in America, which was a big deal up against Saturn's four to 500, depending on whether you bought the console by itself or a bundle. Um, but again, I think the biggest thing with this one was it was geared at 3D graphics, and that was kind of the big deal. Yep. So, how about you? Did you get a PlayStation at launch? No. When did no, you decide you needed a PlayStation? Like no, I've I've got a love hate relationship with the PlayStation One. I love it, but I hate it because it's basically the nail on Sega's coffin in the console market. Um, PlayStation Two more so, but the PlayStation was me finally admitting that Sega were going out the window. It was the first time I had two consoles. I bought it at like we'll, we'll talk more about Dreamcast later. But I had my Dreamcast a year early. I got it at an import place. I actually had a Japanese Dreamcast, so I got it in '98 when it, it didn't come out until '1999 here. Mm -hmm. um, and I had the PlayStation alongside it. 
got it with Acha Soccer and Tekken, I believe, I think it was, I bought. Um, I loved it. Like, it blew me away. Like, this is after years of just, and even in the Saturn, playing mostly 2D games apart from Virtua Cop. Um, thought it was phenomenal. I thought it, it did blow, blow me away, but I didn't admit to my friends I had one. Um, I just couldn't, even the friends that had it, because I was the Sega guy. I had to still stay faithful to Sega. Um, but yeah, I, this, this PlayStation, I've got fond memories of it in another way because it was the f- it was the thing that introduced me to memory cards. One of the first art- articles I ever wrote was about um, when it was a few years into the life cycle, Final Fantasy VII was out, Abe's Odyssey, and Time Crisis. Now I get Time Crisis with the G-Con 45. I traded it for my friend's Final Fantasy VII and I was used to playing a game and restarting all over and uh, kept getting to the end of this one and like having to restart Final Fantasy. And then someone eventually told me about memory cards and I legitimately played that first bit of Final Fantasy VII like it was an old school game. Um, there was no battery backup, obviously, on the PlayStation like the old things. Um, also, I was keen on it because obviously there was the stuff, it started life and obviously the prototypes are out now for this, this NES add-on. Um, the actual Nintendo's PlayStation is in the wild. The guy found it, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I, I, I like the PlayStation One. Uh, it lasted longer than my Dreamcast, and that was my move over to Sony to start with. Um, now I just get everything that's released, obviously. But at the time, it was still I, I missed the console wars. I missed like you were a one or the other sort of guy, and there are still people like that. There are hardcore Xbox. Um, or hardcore like PlayStation, but not me anymore. Like I have to spread my oats of gaming over all consoles. Um, but yeah, PlayStation. It was the one that changed me. It changed, started my changing outlook of games and just the CD-based graphics. I remember getting the demo disc. They were the best thing about it. And there was one called Power Source, and it was two thumbs wrapped up. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, and it was like a demo disc with Destruction Derby two, and it introduced me to. And I always wanted one. And uh, Net Yerosi, Net Yerosi, Net Yerosi, yeah, the, yeah. And it had the Net Yerosi games on it. And over here they had the Prince's Trust, Trust from Prince Charles, and it was this video encouraging you to get a black model PlayStation One so you could develop your own games. And that sort of stuff just blew my mind as a young teenager. It honestly did. So. Yeah, I've got that in the in the chat, but uh, we didn't get it over here. But a lot of people talk about this. This was like the demo disc that like blew everyone's mind. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it two thumbs like taped up, and it had like Destruction Derby, Tomb Raider, I'm sure, and Exhumed. I remember that game Exhumed. I can't remember the other games, but I just remember the whole thing about Net Yerosi, and mm-hmm. I really wanted one. But yeah, please, sorry for waffling on, Fred. No, but, yeah, no, no, no. Play- That's, I wanted to let you talk. PlayStation for me was just, it was it was the era when I met Resident Evil. It was the era, all these franchises that are still still going, and even Crash Bandicoot's coming back, like Crash Bandicoot. Uh, to, to more an extent at the time, Croc was preferable to me, oh, which Croc. was on the Saturn as well. Yeah, but I Croc's, need to play Croc. <laughs> yeah, Croc's, Croc one superb. I never ever played the second one, but like Spyro the Dragon, that, mm-hmm. that's what started Skylanders. Um, well, it got tied to it, but um, you know, like there's just so many games, like it stole all the Final Fantasies because Nintendo refused to move to CDs. Um, you know, like just the CGI movies. Oh, 
those CGI cutscenes in every game. It was like, oh, have you seen that? Oh. The, the, back then, that was full motion video. FMV, it was called, actually. It wasn't CGI. FMV clips. Yep, um, FMV. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. And I just remember things being so expensive for it at first. Like, memory cards were so expensive, and then they eventually started giving them away with magazines and stuff. And, like, when I got the G-Con 45, I think it was 70 bucks or 60 bucks, and I got it at Christmas. The G-Con, where you, if you didn't have the pedals for the um, steering wheel, like in the arcade, the pedals, I had to stand on the controller to duck mm-hmm. in Time Crisis. But I, I loved that game. Like so many good games on the PlayStation One that like justifies it. They did get it did get a smaller version with the screen, but I never ever got that one. The PS One. PS One. Yeah, it. actually, I had a listener yeah. send one to me. I've got it. I've never grabbed the screen for it, but yeah, it's a yeah. cute little console. Yeah, it's tiny. But no, I had PlayStation One. It only got beaten for me by the PS Two eventually, but like the PlayStation One was the start of me admitting Sega had finished. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think with the price point for me, uh, you know, makes sense. But the big reason I jumped on a PlayStation and got rid of my Sega CD and everything to get it was uh, definitely um, uh, Resident Evil. Uh, when it, when that hit in 96, I had yeah. to have it. So I uh, ditched everything and went with Resident Evil. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. And then from there on, the thing with the PlayStation was games were just cheaper. They were like 30, 40 bucks. Then the Platinum series started coming out. Platinum series. Yeah, and it was just a new world. I was also getting older. I was a teenager. I had a job, so I was able to buy games more frequently. Um, and it's weird because like there, people don't really realize there were so many games on the console that it's totally possible for you to have owned the console from the beginning and not played certain things. Like if horror wasn't your thing, you didn't play Resident Evil. Uh, I remember I played Crash Bandicoot, but I didn't play Spyro. Why? Who knows? I just never chose to play the Spyro games. That's that's a, that's a great point. I've never thought about it that way because everybody that had a Mega Drive played everything. Everybody that had like the SNES yeah. played everything. Yeah, there's yeah. that core group. But like, yeah, that wasn't the case. And this is the first time. I think this is completely out of control nowadays, uh, but not in a bad way. But like people fail to realize that un- unless you're a genre snob, you can't play everything. And so this was like, nope. well, maybe some people played Final Fan. Well, okay, everybody played Final Fantasy VII. There were a couple yeah. of pivotal ones, and I would say a large portion of people played Final Fantasy VII. Same was true of Metal Gear Solid, uh, Resident Evil. I'd say to a certain extent, although I might be biased on that one. Um, Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. You know, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, probably a big oh, one yeah. for most people. Um, but then, like, it just depended on where you branched out. Like, maybe you really loved Final Fantasy VII, and from there you might have played eight and even nine. Maybe you went off and played, you know, um, oh, yeah, I mean, I can think of a bunch of stuff. You might have played Chrono Cross, and you might have yeah. gone and played, um, oh, what are some of the pivotal RPGs I'm blanking on? I keep wanting to say Shenmue, but it's not, it's... Uh, no, Shenmue, I wouldn't even call that an RPG. Well, no, and Shenmue um, was on the Dreamcast. I'm trying to think of the RPGs on the... On Vagrant, the Vagrant Story and Vagrant like Xenogears. And... Xenogears, yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, Star Ocean 1, Breath of Fire 3. <laughs> yeah, God, Star Ocean was on here. As was Star Ocean... Didn't Star Ocean 2 hit? I can't remember now. Not sure. I do, I do remember the cross that it was like Final Fantasy meets Resi, Parasite Eve, but we had to get it imported. Oh, or was yeah. That the yeah, no, was Parasite that Eve 1 and 2. 
Yeah. in was the one I was thinking of, the Konami one. Suikoden 1 and 2 yeah. were big ones. But then some people didn't play those. Like me, I didn't play any of those. I didn't even play Final Fantasy VII when it came out. No, I was too busy playing the Resident Evil games. But then I was moving into weird stuff. I played D for some unknown reason. And I played clock tower which was actually the sequel and i played uh you know um oh dino crisis and silent hill you know like i remember when silent hill that was a pretty big one i don't think that was as widely played in the first one as people like to think i feel like silent hill 2 was really the starting point for that one but i know some people you know definitely got started with silent hill 1 no not 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 me i'm a razy boy um yeah dino (laughs) Dino Crisis certainly, yeah. That was not the second one, but the first one. Mm-hmm. Definitely not the third one, but yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, and 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 again, and it just there's stories across the board. You know, maybe you were a big Tony Hawk's Pro Skater person. A lot of people played through a large portion of the Mega Man X series. You know, kind of a lot of people jumped ship from Super Nintendo into the PlayStation One. I know that was a a, a very interesting and common jump. You know, um, oh, for me, I was a big fighting game guy. And of course it handled a lot of Capcom stuff pretty bad. So, you know, that was where I played the batshit insane Mortal Kombat trilogy and Mortal Kombat 4. Even though it was bad, we convinced ourselves it was pretty damn good. (laughs) Um, There's terrible license games like uh, The Crow and Blade and The Fifth Element. You ever played any of these gems? (laughs) I I had Blade and I convinced myself I loved it because I I loved the movie. Was it 98 that came out? I think so. Yeah. I had the game, but I, like I said, I get the P. I didn't get the PS One at launch, um, but yeah, I I definitely had that. Um, Tekken was obviously that's where it started. Tekken was my big thing in the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. When before DLC, where you actually unlock the characters. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, Andrew's talking about Parasite Eve, Parasite Eve One and Two. Yeah, those yeah. were great. Those were, I would say, they're more action games than RPGs, but they definitely borrow from both. Um, yeah. I'm sure somebody's going to scream Persona. I don't. It was called Revelations Persona when it came out in the West. I don't think we really jumped on the Persona train until three, and it's a hard game to go back to. I put a hundred hours into that one, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, and and again, there's a ton of stuff we're not even going to get to. Metal Gear Solid, I think, was a big one, and I remember everybody oh, saying definitely. you had to play that. Did you play Metal Gear Solid when it first came out? Of, of course I did, and I'll throw an Andy story here because I thought this, sure. this is still one of the most genius games I've ever played. Now, when you rented games over here, you did not get the box with it. You just got the disc in a sort of case. So at the part mm-hmm. where Merrill tells you that the codex sign <laughs> is on the box, he, he could not figure it out. So him and his brother had to go to Blockbuster Video um, to look at the rental box to get the code. and They had to write yep. it down and go back to the house. <laughs> yeah, because you can't proceed in that game if you don't know what Merrill's... Uh what Meryl's thing yeah, is yeah this, so. this was pre-full-on internet the internet was around but not everyone had it then so it was a case of if you didn't know word of mouth or you'd rented the game or couldn't figure it out then you were stuck yeah mm-hmm. um, and this, this, the genius part of changing that controller or, and you could read your memory card for capcom games yeah that was a f- phenomenal and this has never been replicated since yeah, the Great Symphony of the Night did hit. Now that you mentioned Konami games, uh, you know, and uh, that was the sequel to Rondo of Blood, which a lot of I remember like diehard game fan and stuff talking about Rondo of Blood, and it was one of those things where it's like I would say to my friends, you know, in high school, oh, pff, you don't, you know, early, early Fred Rojas, uh, you don't fucking know uh, Rondo of Blood. But I'd never played Rondo of Blood. Like I knew what it was, but I'd never played it. I could speak intelligently about it. Um, you know, and for a lot of people, Tomb Raider, especially in Europe, Tomb Raider was oh, yeah. huge on that console. 
Um, see, I, n- I never, I never get deep into it. Like when other people were playing Tomb Raider to see pixelated tits, basically, I was <laughs> busy with like Wipeout and Parappa the Rapper. Oh yeah, Parappa the Rapper, the game that cannot be played on uh, high def TVs because of the lag. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and again, there's a ton of stuff. Uh, I think about Medieval. You remember Medieval? Uh, Medieval with a skeleton guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tons of get Ape Escape once a Jewish shot came out. Yep. Medal of Honor, that was the the first one by 2015. Those guys would eventually give way to to Call of Duty or at least members of that team and stuff would. Uh, But yeah, the first Medal of Honor game was really good. It's not the one that really kind of thrust into Call of Duty. That's a PC one off of the war chest. I forget which one exactly, but it was one that Steven Spielberg was involved in. But there was just so many games. There was crazy shit too, like, like a home console port of Diablo you know yeah <laughs> and and, yeah. and a very terrible port that apparently europe loved of command and conquer and warcraft you guys really that was those? great yeah, yeah. I, absolutely i still have the playstation one version of warcraft on my psp go ah yes when i started doing um things where you could pay me like two bucks and i'd cover a game for you i had a guy who was really ridiculous on you need to play the world is not enough and do a playthrough video of it and eventually oh. i was like fuck this i hated uh, that game um, it was horrible okay okay well he made it seem like it was the greatest thing since sliced bread it was horrible oh siphon filter siphon filter oh yeah 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 tactical third person yeah. shooters um speaking of good versions uh and of course again we could keep going with this uh tenshu you know uh the mm, trilogies Tenshu's- alien trilogy yeah. and diehard trilogy which we've done before but um, so the other weird thing was it was a resurgence of me playing sports games. I really only played sports games on the NES, a little on the Genesis, but uh, this is when I started playing sports games again. I played Cool Borders. I loved Cool Borders. Uh, ESPN cool Borders. Extreme Games. Did you ever play that with the street luge and shit going 70 miles an hour in San Francisco and then you hit a rock? And, uh, no, Tony- no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Tony Skater, Hawk, you know, was another like big one. Um, uh there w- I think there was an NBA Jam, but there was also Open Ice, which was the NBA Jam of hockey. I remember playing the shit great. out of that. Uh, so it was just a weird time because I would play like anything. And then racing games. You know, everybody will talk about the Need for Speed or Ridge Racer, but my shit was Test Drive 6. Oh, Test Drive 6 oh, was yeah. the shit. Opened up with the song Cars. Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was a good game. And um, Gran Turismo, obviously. Gran Turismo? Oh, yeah. That was um, a big deal. The one... It- Sorry. Oh, real, real quick. The one thing I want to mention was Gran Turismo was a big deal for me because at that time, the unlockable strongest car was either the 98 or the 99 Mitsubishi Eclipse. It had the best handling and like speed. And uh, like, so for basically, I don't know if it was the best car in the game, but it was up there. And if you were an arcade racer, it was the best car in the game. And I owned it. Eclipse. Yeah, that was the car that Paul Walker drove in the first Fast and the Furious, the green one. Yeah, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't buy a cherry red Mitsubishi Eclipse in high school, or just out of high school, (sighs) actually. And so at the time, I remember unlocking that, and I had a 99 Eclipse, and I was like, fuck, yeah, it's my shit. So yeah, it was pretty good. See, the, the PlayStation was the first console, I believe it or not, played, uh, this was totally illegal at the time. A guy owned a game store, and I had the blue tack and pen trick, like we're talking about, and I played the first, my first ever beta game or beta game on the PlayStation 1. It was an unfinished version of Driver that I got given. Wow. 
Yeah, Driver yeah. came out. That was kind of like an early precursor to the kind of gameplay that we would see in Resident <laughs> or in Resident Evil in uh, Grand Theft Auto Three. Yeah, well, especially Driver Two when you can get out the car, but Driver okay, One yeah. was more akin to like stuntman. Um, but aside from that, obviously, you had the Spider Man games; they were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Spider Man was very good. Uh, I think they got a little stronger when uh, who was it? Was it Vicarious Visions? Did uh, mm. those in the? Uh, I can't remember exactly. I what thought it was a Tony Hawk's guys. I thought it was. A yeah, Tony NeverSoft. Ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. Here, let me look up Spider Man yeah. Two, the video game. Because somebody's freaking out because I'm totally wrong on this, but, but yeah, there was no lack of stuff on the PlayStation, and the PlayStation lasted a long time. Like I remember still avidly playing my PlayStation in '99 when I grabbed the Dreamcast. Um, actually, I didn't yeah. grab my Dreamcast till 2000, which we'll talk about in just one sec. Uh, Ridge but, Racer, fuck, we forgot about. I kind of mentioned it, but yeah, Ridge Racer—it's the big one. Um, <laughs> Treyarch. Sorry, the Call of Duty developers did uh, Spider-Man Two. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, um, but yeah. So the PlayStation had a good long life. Lots of people can talk about stuff. And again, we've definitely missed some stuff you love, and so I apologize for that. Um, but like, like your very good point. It was the first console where it was like there was so much stuff out that you couldn't. You mentioned to anyone the Mega Drive or Genesis or SNES or Super Nintendo, whatever you want to call it. They played every game that you could probably mention. But with the PlayStation, there's games that you won't even have heard of. You know, oh, and that yeah. was only like I, I would say one generation away from the SNES, two generations maybe. You know. Oh yeah, and and even I'd say it's one generation. It was a 32-bit yeah. console, and the 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 Mega Drive Genesis was the 16-bit. But even more importantly, like you said, yeah, there was no like core list of games, and there was crazy stuff like that was region specific. Like Japan obviously got its own stuff, America got its own stuff, and then you guys even got weird stuff. Like there's apparently this bomb ass version of Earthworm Jim one or two on the PlayStation. Yep. that I was completely yep. unaware of. Uh, and it's hard to play because um, the, this was the first time where the games were encoded in their region. So PAL games are encoded in PAL. You can play them on a region modded or you know swap disc trick on a PlayStation 1 in America, but it's going to output in PAL format. And so you're, <laughs> you're shit out of luck either way. <laughs> I think it was Earthworm Jim 2 we got. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was Earthworm Jim too. Uh, Andrew said, Fred, can you mention that Sony marketed to adults the first time in the industry? That is true. PlayStation was definitely kind of like Sega started to see success, especially in America, marketing to adults as well as kids, but kind of did both. And you could tell Sony was like, okay, you Genesis kids, you've grown up now. Okay, you Super Nintendo kids, you've grown up now. Let's market to you. And I remember that being a big deal because there were a lot of mature games and it was like a good time to say, I'm an adult, I play video games, this is okay. And more importantly, this isn't for kids. Like, And there was yeah. a lot of stuff that did that. Um, the creepy adverts as well with the ghetto. Ah, uh, yes, the- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come play in our world or whatever uh there were a lot yeah. of interesting adverts uh for that um and uh you are not ready uh where it was like a little red e like red colored e i remember that stuff uh sega was welcome to the next level and then there was you are not ready um yeah. i do want to point out real quick before we move on and wrap up uh i haven't mentioned the pcfx which was actually the pc engine 2 made by nec only released in japan came out in 94 actually 
came out just alongside, came out in December 94. So this technically came out after the Saturn and the PlayStation, if you go by American or by Japanese standards. And I think we should because Japan's the only place that got it. Um, this was kind of a 32-bit console as well. Um, and I'd love to talk about it and it's, it's whatnot, but I don't have one yet. I want to buy one, but I haven't purchased one yet. And it's a very Japanese-based console and whatnot. And I do want to cover it in Cron CD. So not yet. I'll maybe do a follow-up little extra credit or something at some point. But uh, but yeah, um, the PCFX does come out at this time. Uh, and it's a Japan only. But those of you TurboGrafx fans may want to look into it. One can be had for about... 200 bucks, not too bad for a console that only sold 400,000 copies. Um, and most of them are in pretty good shape. Uh, but I think it's because people don't play them a lot because there's not a lot of games on them. <laughs> True. Like PZFX games are expensive and there's only 62 of them. And of that, I've been told like seven are worth playing. So there you go. Oh, yeah. um, I'll find out the hard way. But uh, anyway, and wrapping it up, I understand this is kind of the end of the um, CD-ROM era. To be honest with you, um, is it GD? Yeah. yeah, because we have the Dreamcast, which was uh, the GD-ROM, the Gigabit Disk ROM, or the Gigabyte Disk ROM, um, which is a weird version of a CD-ROM. It's just kind of an extended version of a CD-ROM, but it is its own proprietary format, which is why there's no like GD-ROM burners out there. But whenever you hear people talk about playing Dreamcast backups, it's that you can either buy extended CDs, which hold the same pretty much the same space as a GD-ROM, or it totally reads CDs. Uh, it reads CDs so well that the first two versions of the console, and there were only three, um, read CDs without being modified. So you can just put a burn CD in them and they'll fucking play. But yeah. um, but was the Sega Dreamcast, which was a, uh, uh, a, a very strong console. I think this even, it, it wasn't specifically 32-bit, but it wasn't, I don't think, 64-bit. It was when we stopped caring about bits. It was just kind of yeah. like the first kind of I think of it was 128-bit. That might have been the case. Yeah, now that you say that. It was the first like yeah. PC console, right? It was the first time where the console really is kind of like a, a PC. It had the Windows logo right in front of it. Yes, I mean, and it ran Windows CE, or it was capable of yeah. running CE, but it really didn't in almost anything yeah. it did. So, but, but yeah, uh, so the Dreamcast hits 98, so November 98, as you had said, in Japan, and then comes out September 99 in America, October 99 in Europe, and November 99 in Australia. Um, it, uh, this is the first time where America was really heavily involved in stuff. Um, if you'll recall, um, one of the people handling the launch, especially in America, was, um, I think he handled the launch was Peter Moore, Peter Moore of later Microsoft Xbox 360 fame now at EA or actually just left EA to go work for a football team, uh, in, in Europe, um, or soccer team, depending on your, your region. Uh, you know, they, they were heavily involved in this stuff. And Peter Moore was actually the one who put the, the kibosh on, uh, on the, the Dreamcast finally killing it. Uh, but only around for two years, very short lifespan. Worldwide yeah. killed March 31st, 2001. But it was uh, used a 100 megahertz processor, a Power VR2 uh, integrated processor. Um, and uh, and definitely, definitely was uh, a very advanced console for the time. Had some great visuals. Um, kind of one of the first mid-gen consoles as well, right? It wasn't quite a PS2, but it wasn't quite a PS1. Yeah, I would say so. But yeah, but yeah so... 
Um, but uh, so what was your experience with the Dreamcast? Okay, so I'm going to... Um, everyone said my Dreamcast was fake when I got it um, because by the time that people started... They, they were fine at first, but then when it got announced coming out to Europe, I got it Christmas 98, okay? Um, I had... The guy was actually going to Japan and he stood in line and got me the Dreamcast. It cost, I think it was... 500 600 pounds which was ridiculous at the time but i'd just sold my game gear game boy uh my system mega drive every one of my consoles more or less gets sold to get this um i needed it the saturn went at this point like the lot or did the saturn no i kept the saturn everything else went um and obviously i'd saved like birthday christmas money the reason people said mine were fake, mine was fake, was because the swirl in mine was orange, which was in Japan. I'm seeing Freda logo just now. The reason <laughs> it wasn't able to be used is because of this logo of a German company in Europe already used the exact same logo in orange. So it came out here, it was blue. I think it was red in America. Um, and obviously my games were in Japanese. Now, what, for me, at first, I didn't see an issue with Sonic because Sonic... Is Sonic and I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really care about Sonic, but then I realised, oh, hold on, like this has actually got speech in it. There's, this is all Japanese, and no idea. Um, I'll, I think Sonic was the only game I had for a long time. Choo Choo Rocket, I believe, I got as well. Ah, and yep, yep. And then I think I kept it to the end of the following year, and I sold it to a guy just before it came out for slightly less than I paid for it, but I managed to snag a launch Dreamcast with the money that he paid for it over here. So I got the European version, which is the Blue Swirl, and -hmm. I managed to get a VMU with that as well. Um, To me, it was revolutionary. It was the first console I properly played online. Eventually, Mm -hmm. I did play the PS2 online, um, but yeah, I played Choo Choo Rocket online with it. Um, I had Resi 2 for it, Sonic Adventure. Sonic Adventure 2 I never bought. I was never really into Sonic Adventure 2 from the look of it. I've played it obviously since. Um, Echo the Dolphin I eventually got. But for me, like it was the evolution of Sega. It was perfect. Like Everything about it was like, this is what they should have done. And then it didn't last very long, obviously. So like that kind of... I, I, I held on to it for a bit longer than most people did. But eventually I had to go with the PS2. But this this console was ahead of its time it had um the vmu was a visual uh, it was a memory, memory visual memory unit it was called yeah and you could play parts of the game it was sold as so like there was a i think there was some puzzles in code veronica or resi 2 or one of them that you could it wasn't really full puzzles but you resi could solve like parts your, like uh, yeah had your like uh health and uh ammo i remember sonic yeah. adventure had the gigapets <laughs> Yeah, you get the which was big at the time, obviously, or just out of it was the what were they called? The Chows, the Chaos, whatever yeah, they were. The, yeah, yeah. You could raise them, and I'm sure there were some other games you could you could play mini games and stuff on them, and like sometimes things would go across the screen that had the Dreamcast logo. Obviously, the when chow. you started the Chow, <laughs> yeah, the Chow. Uh, but just it's even just seeing the Windows logo on it from the start, like it's clear that this is what Microsoft took a lot for for the first xbox like even with the controller you know the controller going into the original massive xbox controller and they took a lot from this console and i'm quite sure sega probably blessed a lot of it i don't this is me just summarizing theorizing Mm -hmm. not even just knowing but it just seems to me a lot of this a bit like the original playstation one controller was very like the snes control pad 
um, even with the colours just mixed about for the buttons. But yeah, the the Dreamcast to me, I just I loved every part of it. I loved every minute I had with the Dreamcast. I know there's still some hardcore fans like developing games for the Dreamcast. Like I've backed a Kickstarter for um, oh, what's it called? Something Wood. That's terrible that I can't remember it. But there's a game oh, come no. out for the Mega Drive. Uh... Uh... Oh, are you talking oh. about Pure Solar? No, no, no. There's okay. a game coming out for uh, Mega Drive. Oh, the new one that 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 one developer is making. Um... Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's Torchwood. It could be Torchwood. Tanglewood. Sorry, Tanglewood. Tanglewood yeah. Right. He he's making it for the Genesis, and I've got the box version coming. It's well, it's the Mega Drive version I'm getting. Mm-hmm. It's, it should be out this year. Um, he's he's reached his Kickstarter goal, so he's going to port it to the. Um, Dreamcast again, but I'm almost sure there's still people releasing Dreamcast games or very oh, few there are. Yeah. schmucks and stuff. There's so no ones, a console yeah. a console that lasted two years, that in 2017 still getting new games, that says something about it. Like, I really wish that Shenmue and Sonic, uh, the Saturn had never happened and we could still have Sega in the console race, mm-hmm. but Unfortunately, this was the last nail on Sega's head. Uh, was this? But I mean, the, the big ca- fans—the big fans—it does live on. Like, I forgot that uh, I found out yesterday that there's a huge Amiga scene still, and so I mean, you know, Dream- Dreamcast and Amiga specifically definitely stay alive thanks to. Oh yeah, but yeah. The, the back the back catalog as well. Like the, the games I had on it, I'll run through them and then I'll sh- I'll shut up. Uh, Crazy Taxi, like Resident Evil Veronica was an exclusive. Um, mm-hmm. Power Stone, the likes the likes of games like Power Stone, Street Fighter Three couldn't get it anywhere else bar bar the Dreamcast at the time, yep. as far as I remember. Um, obviously, I had Shenmue at the time. Um, Quake, Ready to Rumble, boxing. Uh, Quake was Three on. was huge on that one too because yeah, that had Quake keyboard three. and mouse. Yeah, I had the keyboard mouse. I had a lot for it. There was Tony Hawk's on it as well, from what I remember. But yep, Tony Hawk just... one and I really like the Dreamcast version of Tony Hawk Two personally. Yeah, I mean <clears throat> it's just a phenomenal console, and like I will pick up one again. Like I just need to have a Dreamcast in the house. Like again, I sold my Dreamcast um, to Andy when I was just clearing out. I had like a Sega room at the time, and like you know what happens. And like now we're in a bigger house, it would be easier for me to <laughs> right. have it. But at the time. I- did not have space so i just said to andy look take all this stuff off me please but um yeah just so many good games so many good memories i know it's popular just for shmups now but like the arcade games that were on it um oh there's some great light gun games too but yeah crazy taxi it's the only version that has that offspring yeah 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 with the pizza hut and kfc i believe Mm -hmm. was licenced in it those are in there uh, yep what was it MDK Mother Death Kill? Murder Death Kill. Oh yeah, yeah. MDK one and two were both on that system. Um, those were big ones, especially MDK two. Again, these are also games that many of you PC players uh, from the late. Uh, actually, it looks like MDK two was only on that one, but MG- MDK two was the big one. Um, that's a Bioware game. Most of you PC players really like played a lot of these games, but for those of us console players, this is that first time outside of the 3DO, which I don't think really counts, where there was a lot of PC ports coming out at about the same time, uh, coming over. So, um, yeah. um, 
he obviously like Soul Calibur was on it, um, like I've already talked about Sonic Adventure, and I, I know a lot of people hate it, and it's not aged well, but I loved Sonic Adventure at the time. It was absolutely phenomenal. Um, every game's cabinet had it advertising it, and uh, lastly, before I finish up, Virtual Tennis. That was my introduction to my favorite. Virtual Tennis, yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing sports game. Yeah, and and again, I played a lot of sports games on this one also, and NBA or NFL 2K. Oh Jesus, uh, that was huge. Um, I think it was. 2k just straight 2k because it was 2000 uh that was a big one um and again the thing about dreamcast is that it's just there were a couple of ports but a lot of the stuff just really stayed on the dreamcast and uh was pretty significant apparently there's an echo the dolphin game on there Um, yeah i had echo it's great there you go there you go um the the ones i really remember was um uh, of course, the shmups like Giga Wing and stuff like that, but that's an easy one to talk about. Um, but beyond that, you know, you've got the your crazy outlandish shit that, of course, a person like me would jump all over. So good examples of those is like Carrier or Blue Stinger we've talked about on here. Uh, Blue Stinger, better than Carrier. I don't know if either one's particularly a strong game. Uh, like you said, it was the first place to get Code Veronica uh, before the export came out on uh, PlayStation 2. Um but uh but did you yeah. ever have that seaman game seaman yes i did where leonard nimoy talked to you um that was a weird game i never quite dug that game i didn't like it and i kind of got rid of it pretty quick but i remember buying it when it came out because it got hyped to monumentous levels and i don't think it cost more i think it was still 60 bucks 50 60 bucks yeah even though it had you the microphone yeah yeah you, know, you just it was kind of like a next generation of virtual pet to a certain extent um, Leonard Nimoy in your pocket. That's right. That's right. Um, Sega GT. That was kind of an early yeah. version of like your uh, your kind of more arcadey slash sim racers. Your kind of hybrids. Um, of course, the Sonic Adventure games. Um, and uh, and then again, there was some good ports uh, for PC and stuff. Like the Resident Evil ports were rock solid. Uh, they were all based off of the PC ports. Um, and with that, so was Dino Crisis. There was a lot of arcade ports, uh, light gun ports especially. I was a huge fan of light gun stuff. There's crazy shit like Typing of the Dead and Ill Bleed. I remember that stuff. Um, uh, typing of the Dead, I think it came with my keyboard that I bought. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, And that's how I got it too. Um, it was the first time Ikaruga came out, although you're playing a burn copy mm-hmm. more than likely because of how rare that is. <laughs> <laughs> it was the weird... <laughs> place where i played a lot of stuff like legacy of kane soul reaver which yeah if you've not great. played that game it's not as good as you remember but it started off it good not? yeah <laughs> quantic dreams omicron was on there that was another pc game that came out uh the fantasy star online games got their start here i didn't play them i don't yeah. think till dreamcast but they did start here says the dreamcast yep yep the uh, definitive version of rayman 2 i remember that i didn't like rayman 1 but still kind of don't but really liked rayman 2 uh Rayman 2 was good, yeah. It was a bomb. Um, but uh, but yeah, there was there was a lot of crazy shit on this console. Um, and it's still relatively inexpensive. So like I said, if you want to try it out, good to go today. There's even a VGA box, which is the way I play it. Uh, gets you 480p out of a console. So it's kind of one of the first with progressive scan. That was a big deal. Um, uh, oh, I forgot there's a version of, there's a sequel of Bangayo on this. Bangayo. Oh, this is a port. <laughs> this is the port, actually, of Treasures Bangayo. I probably knew that, um, but uh, it's been a while. So, but uh, <laughs> Andrew says he will play Soul Reaver and enjoy it to spite me. 
Uh, he also says, fun fact, Skies of Arcadia, a Dreamcast exclusive, was later ported to GameCube. I didn't know that. So there you go. Um, but yeah, yeah, Dreamcast is a cool console. It's an easy one to get rid of, uh, but uh, but it's wor- well worth it. And for those of you dirty pirates out there, people who just don't want to pay for a lot of games, um, very easy to play backups on it. Um, so that's that's another thing. Just, you know, if that's your thing. There is a game called Dynamite Cop, which I want to play, which is, of course, the follow-up to Dynamite Dika or Die Hard Arcade. Um, yeah. There's a game coming out this year called Alice Dreams Tournament, and it's a Kickstarter that's apparently a Bomberman homage. Ooh. Which might work yeah. out better than the uh, not-so-well-received uh, Bomberman uh, R <laughs> on the Switch. So, I'm loving Bomberman R, but There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. So, um... All right, uh, but anything else you want to... Uh, and I do remember, the big thing for me was I didn't pick it up at Ooh. launch. It was a little expensive, but not too bad. It was two... We should point out, it was 300 in Japan. And then when it finally hit over here, it was 200, and you guys paid 200 quid for it, pound for it yeah. in Europe. That's how I managed to afford it by selling my 500 pounds one, uh, the Japanese one, a week before it came out for, I think it was 450 nice. with the games. So I managed to get that and have extra money to buy like Sonic and... Um, Choo Choo Rocket. I don't know if that was a pack in over here. I think mm, it might have been. That's possible. Choo Choo Rocket was not over here, but I think it was cheap. Like I think it was like twenty, thirty bucks. Like it was, it was lower yeah. price. Um, for me, it was uh, when they were about to clearance it out. Like it was, I believe, two thousand. It definitely predated the PlayStation Two, like even close to the launch. But I, it might have been early two thousand. They dropped the price in America to I think a hundred bucks, and it came with that Sega Smash Pack Six, which had like those Genesis games, you know, Streets of Rage, Golden Axe, this and that. Sega figured out that remaking old games was so much easier to sell hardware than making new ones. And of course, they've taken that and run with it nowadays, uh, not just Sega, but everybody. Um, but I picked it up then for 100 bucks, and then started collecting the games. And I've never gotten rid of that one since. But that was, that was a very popular thing uh, over here. Because, you know, for 150 bucks, which was roughly the, cheaper than the price of a console, because I was ready to pay 200 for the GameCube. 300 for the PlayStation and 300 for the, the Xbox. Um, you know, to pick that up for 150 with a couple of games and VMUs and stuff, I mean, that was worthwhile. Uh, so, and I always love the light gun games. Uh, light guns are still the reason why I've stuck to CRTs. I will stand by that. But. Yeah, it's crazy that the, the, the old school ones won't work. Like, it's really annoying. I would the, love to play the, 10 Crisis. The again. input lag is ridiculous. I have a switch box, like a, not a switch yeah. box, a distribution amplifier. Uh, I had two of them. There's the Radio Shack one and then the cheaper one. And I had the cheaper one first. And if you do uh, the S-video output from like, uh, now I can do RGB, but if you did the old school S-video outputs of like uh, uh, S-video out of the, you know, the, the, or well, composite video out of the, Mega Drive Genesis or the S video out of the Dreamcast and ran it through this converter box. It only added like a very small amount of lag, nothing you would call input lag, but it added enough that the the light guns would stop accepting the signal. The Radio Shack one I bought actually does preserve the light gun functionality, so I was happy about that. But it's very precise. You only have a handful of frames for light guns, so it's very picky. Yeah. Whereas the fastest console or the fastest you know, resolution, um, from TVs nowadays, like the fastest you can get is probably 2030. And that does, that's, that's just for the TV processing. That doesn't count the, the signal leaving the console and coming out. And so you just can't win. 
Uh, and all these, you have to adapt to HDMI. They don't have native HDMI out, so you just can't win. It's not going to work with light guns. Oh, but hey, uh, anything else you want to say about the Dreamcast before we put this bad boy to rest? Um, no, I do have a link that I'll give you. You can put up in the chat. That's like sure. uh, news about Dreamcast games coming this year and uh, upcoming ones. Like most of these are Kickstarters that may or may not happen, but some of them have already been approved. Uh, Dreamcast today, like it yeah, Dreamcast them. today at WordPress.com. Yeah, yeah, WordPress or dot WordPress.com. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it's it, the Dreamcast was phenomenal, and it's sadly missed. It's, it's Sega's last console, and we'll never see another Sega console. And a lot of that was the cost to make, not just the cost to make Shenmue, but that was that was the last. That was the limit. I mean, the money that was involved in Shenmue One was unreal. That's true, and Shenmue Two actually as well, which only came out in um, Japan, but that one as well. And again, I've still said that the Dreamcast Two was the Xbox. Most of the games moved over to it. Most of the development and Microsoft was working closely with it. Hell, Peter Moore left Sega and joined Microsoft. Um, so, yeah. you know, there is that. But, 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 still, I will concede that to a lot of people, the Xbox is absolutely not the Dreamcast Two, and I can understand that as well. Um, I, I, I'm more in the Dreamcast 2 camp and I, I prefer the Dreamcast over the Xbox because it took a while for them to like bring out Sonic and things like that on other systems. I mean, I know Shenmue reached the Xbox One. or well, Shenmue 2 did anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. Yeah, and I have the original Xbox uh, Shenmue 2. It actually comes with a DVD that tells you the plot of Shenmue 1 as well. Uh, it's a 90-minute uh, movie. Um, and people are talking about CRTs in the chat and w- if they sell them. I don't know if they still sell them, but you can find plenty on the uh, curb. I found a 37-inch Sony Trinitron that works perfectly yesterday, right before a rainstorm, pulled it in and saved it. Uh, so now I've got a 37-inch picture tube. Uh, that Trinitron weighs like 400 pounds. A 36-inch RCA. And then, of course, I got my RGB-modded 32-inch Trinitron, and they're like sitting side by side. So I've got way too much shit. But uh, anyway... <laughs> Uh, Clue Drew says the Xbox One. He meant the original Xbox. We didn't know this was going to be a problem. Um, but uh, <sighs> anyway, all right. Well, Allie, thank you very much for joining us. Next week, I'll be coming back to do like a lecture thing. So what we're going to basically do is I'm going to do one with a guest and one with a lecture till Jam returns. Jam has told us it's looking a little more like April, maybe even May. But once those get done and once I've got a chance to kind of finish up The Witcher and Zelda, I'll be able to get back into game clubs and stuff kind of going into the summer. So bear with us. But uh, next week will probably be a, a lecture series. And actually, I forgot about this. My wife, uh, we have something going on. So um, so what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to pre-record this lecture series. I will be here and jumping in and out of the chat, but it will be a pre-recorded show. So just bear with me on that one. But I have to do it because I kind of have to watch my daughter at the same time. And as a good parent, I'm not going to sit there and be like, sit in the corner. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, so bear with that. But it just works out that I was planning to do you know a solo lecture series followed by a, ge- uh, a guest. So Allie, where can people find you? Uh, if you want to listen to more of this, then uh, well, I was on Forty Two Level One, which is usually before this show. Um, we talk games, we talk sometimes TV, but recently not many of us with jobs and stuff, changing of jobs, promotions, and jobs, which is going on with us just now. We haven't had time to really watch much TV, but yeah, you can get us in Forty Two Level One. You can get us at Twitter. Um, I've also put more into YouTube. I've just done an unboxing, a couple unboxings 
of legacy Power Rangers Megazords uh, that I picked up and uh, Fraser's done some snazzy intros on our YouTube if you just look up 42 level 1 that's 42 level 1 you can get us there or on the Twitter and you can message us too um, but yeah thanks for having me tonight Fred I'll, if I can I, if Jam's going to be away a while if if I can I will jump back on uh, to help fill in absolutely yeah thank you I will reach out to you and let you know kind of what's going on mm. so you know if you if you mesh well like last one was Wii U yeah, it didn't seem like you were that interested in that one uh, but yeah. uh, you know we'll go back and forth and see well, the, the Dreamcast outsold the Wii U so that season there is that so just keep that in mind. Um, but uh, but yeah, and you can find me at GamingHistory101.com. Had some stuff going on. A lot of people really liked that River City Ransom Underground and, and, and thought it looked promising but wanted a review on it. I actually reached out to the developer. They were kind enough to give me a review copy. So I've got a written review live. And the developer goes, well, we had kind of done the review copy based off of your YouTube subscriptions. Are you going to do a video review? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, fuck it. So I won't lie. The video review that's going to go live in the podcast feed and uh, on the website Thursday is actually just me reading out the written review, which is fine if it cannibalizes the written review. But if you want to see gameplay of that, I have a 1080p 60 video going live on YouTube for for that on Thursday, as well as uh, in this podcast feed, it'll just be called a quick review is the the seven minute written, read out version of that review. Um, but the long and skinny of it is I liked it. However, there's some caveats you need to know going into it. So, um, but it definitely fared a little bit better than Double Dragon 4. So um, anyway, I will be, Doing a, a few more of those, you know, as time goes on and looking into stuff. Blaster Master Zero just came out on 3DS as well as the Switch, uh, but I don't have a Switch. So I'll be playing the 3DS version and definitely doing a review. But, you know, I would think that's our bread and butter, so I should probably cover that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'll get going with that. And as I said, twitch.tv forward slash GH101. I'll be starting to knock out the... Uh, the live streams of Resident Evil 2. I also have all of the live streams of Resident Evil 1. I need to edit those together into one mega cut where I don't die, and then I'll have some of the... the uh, I'll do it in one-hour kind of shows in parts. It'll probably be like six parts because I played the arrange mode with Chris. Um, but I'll also do like a, a a final part as like a bonus, which is all my deaths and me flipping out about it. Um, so yeah, so... Um, but yeah, all right. Well, Ali, thank you very much. Um, we're going to call it a day, uh, and uh, you can check us out uh, here on All Games every Tuesday at 7 p.m. And uh, if you are a B-Team listener, stay tuned. I'll be on the new B-Team. So I believe it's episode, just in case people aren't live, episode 407. So anyway. Uh, all right. In the meantime, this is Fred Rojas saying peace out.